What's up, besties? Welcome back to another episode of Net Worth and Chill with me, your host, Vivian Tu, aka your rich BFF and your favorite Wall Street girly. So today we are going to talk about my parents. Sort of. We're going to talk about how their immigrant experience shaped their relationship with money, what positive financial values they gave and instilled into me, and also some of the deep-seated financial traumas I have because of who my parents are. And this is going to be a very vulnerable episode, so even if you can't directly relate to being a first-gen daughter to Chinese immigrant parents, I do hope it helps you do a little introspection and soul-searching on your relationship with money your parents, and why you think about finances the way you do today. So I got to start with the backstory. My family is from Shanghai, China, and my mom is currently in her early 60s, and my dad's in his later 60s. And to Put it lightly, they had a fucked up relationship with money long before I came into the picture, long before I even was just like a glimmer of an idea in their eye. And that's largely because they grew up during the communist revolution. So quick history lesson for those of us who dozed off during world history in high school. China used to have a nationalist government that largely seemed to only care about city business interests and rural landlords. While they were pretty much ignoring all of the suffering of the common people, the peasants, and when the communists and nationalists went to war, essentially when the communists would win, they would acquire landlord land and then hand it over to the common peasants. And as these peasants got more and more land, they started to feel like, ah, wow, this system is so much better than the nationalist system, which never cared about us. And the leader of the communist revolution was Mao Zedong, and he focused on winning over the peasants, essentially to gain their support during the civil war. And he painted educated city people or landlords or people who had money and property as the enemy. As more and more of like the peasants and laborers acquired land and started to see their lives get better, they had more and more of a stake in the success of the Communist Party. So they knew that if the nationalists ended up winning the civil war, all of the new stuff that they had would just go like be gone. Like the like the communists had given them all of this stuff. And if they did not support this regime, if the nationalists won, they'd be back to square zero. This was problematic for my family because my grandparents, my grandpa in particular, was part of the educated class. They were in Shanghai, which is a major city, a major port, a major hub in China. And so when this was all going on and when the communists started to take over, they essentially took all of their money, all of their property, all of their stuff. So it was almost like over a pretty short period of time, my parents went from living what I would probably consider to be an upper middle class life, at least my, my mom's family, to having nothing. I would say my dad's family was probably more middle class, maybe even a little bit more laboring and laborer class, middle class. But they also obviously suffered through the revolution. And my parents ended up growing up with a severe scarcity mindset because they literally witnessed their families have everything stripped away essentially overnight and they had to ration pretty much everything from food to clothes and shoes to household staples. So like no shit, that creates a lot of scar tissue for them. And as they get older into their college years, fortunately for me, they're big nerds and they're both pretty book smart. My dad becomes a medical doctor and my mom becomes a chemist. And for them, education is their ticket to financial success. With LinkedIn Jobs, we tap into a network of more than a billion professionals to help you find quality professionals quickly and easily for any role you need. 
Marketing wizards? Found them. Software engineers? Found. That project manager I could never seem to hire? And found. LinkedIn Jobs quickly matches your roles with candidates with the right skills and experience. In fact, 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. Post your first job for free and get started at linkedin.com slash spoken. That's linkedin.com slash spoken. Terms and conditions apply. I will quickly sidebar. My parents have always been hard on me about getting good grades. Like I was always expected to get A's. But when we were cleaning out one of my mom's old boxes of stuff, I found her college transcript. And I hope she doesn't hear me say this, but this chick was getting C's all over the place. Like I get it. C's get degrees, but damn, Amy, you couldn't have studied a little bit more. Hypocrite. Anyway, my parents are able to come over to the US because my dad gets a J-1 visa, which is essentially like a foreign exchange student visa. And after his time, at university as a researcher, he's able to get a job and he brings over my mom. I think that's a pretty common story as well as a lot of educated immigrants coming over on the H-1B visa, which is a U- like a U.S. work visa. And it was essentially like the U.S.'s way of cherry picking very highly skilled immigrants from places like China and India, because during the time that they were immigrating, there was this massive push to make America the leader of industry and innovation. And what do you need? You need doctors, lawyers, engineers, and highly educated workforces to make those types of strides. And while my parents and a lot of other people's immigrant parents saw this as a big opportunity, it was obviously a really challenging experience too, because you're in a totally new country with very little to no money, no security, you don't speak the language. And I can only imagine how alone they felt because I've never ever been in that type of position because I was born in America and I have the sense of entitlement that, hey, I am a by birth citizen. I deserve to be here. I speak the language. I am a you know native English speaker. And that just wasn't the case for my parents. I'm trying to imagine what it would be like for me to be picked up and plopped over in Italy and not know the language and not be able to basically get a job or do anything. And it was probably really, really scary. So fast forward, best thing ever happens. My mom and dad have me. I'm born. Yes. (laughs) And it isn't this happily ever after. I actually get shipped back to China to live with my grandparents for two years while my struggling parents get their financial footing. And I didn't know it at the time, but I think my parents were very, very scared financially. My dad found the language barrier to be almost impossible to overcome. So he actually pivoted careers out of biology and medicine and went back to grad school to get a degree in computer science because, you know, it's easier to have a job where everyone speaks the same language, which would be a programming language versus English. And throughout my childhood, my parents never really let me feel poor, but I was also acutely aware that money was a big concern for them. And there were probably, I would say like three moments that stick out in my mind that I'd like to tell you about. So first and foremost, I would say I acutely remember the job that my dad was able to find when he finished his education visa was in New Jersey, but we lived in Maryland and I was an only child and my dad was commuting, working in New Jersey during the week and commuting home to Maryland at night. And I remember my mom telling me the story of how he would drive so late at night for hours and one time he almost fell asleep at the wheel and he hit the rumble strip and it woke him up and it really scared him because so many people were getting into car accidents on that specific highway. And I think when I got older, I asked my mom and dad, like, why, like, why was he working in New Jersey if we lived in Maryland? And it was almost like a sense of desperation that they felt like they had to do that so that they could stay in America, which is this country full of opportunity. And that's how they were just able to make the numbers crunch. And obviously that was very challenging and I'm very grateful that they did it. But I do feel 
sad when I think about that and what my parents had to do to be able to give me the life that I currently have. Up next, I would say when I was in middle school, I joined our neighborhood swim team. We had moved into a slightly nicer neighborhood. They had a pool in the community and they had a swim team. And every year we would take swim team photos and To be on the swim team, they would ask the parents to buy you a specific swimsuit so everybody would have the same suit for meet days and the same goggles and the same cap. And my parents felt like since we already paid the fee to have you on the swim team, we're not going to buy the swimsuit. And I have to find this so I can share it on social, but there is a photo of the entire swim team wearing green and black swimsuits and my swimsuit is bright pink. And I stick out like a sore thumb and I look back on that now and I laugh because I didn't know, but I think I was pretty embarrassed that I didn't have the same suit that everybody else had. And this is actually one of the things that my mom says she regrets most. She was like, the suit was only $60. We should have just gotten it for you. I I feel really guilty about that. And I tell her, mom, you don't have to feel guilty about it. Like I've completely forgotten about the swim team. I don't look at that photo. It's not anything that's traumatic, but I think that's something that they probably agonized over because they really didn't feel like they could afford that $60 swimsuit. And last story is when I was in high school, I went to the mall with one of my girlfriends and she had, I would say, probably more established parents who were making a lot more money. And we both went to Abercrombie. We both bought the same pair of jeans. They were so cute. They had rips in them. And I came home and my mom looked at the jeans and asked me how much I spent on them. And I told her, and I can't even remember, it wasn't a lot of money. I think it was like, I don't know, 25, 50 bucks for a pair of jeans. And we had what can only be described as a World War III level fight because she felt like her and my dad worked so hard day in, day out. We weren't really going on many vacations. And for me to buy frivolous ripped jeans for that much money, it just made her feel like I didn't understand the value of a dollar, which... I in fairness, I probably didn't at the time, but we got into a really big fight and it made me sad because I made a comment about how my friend had bought the same pair of jeans and she looked me in the eye and she was like, your parents are not millionaires. Your parents do not, you know, work in law. They not, they don't work in medicine anymore. Like we cannot afford that. And I think that was the first time I was very much, I really felt how deeply my parents were worried about their finances. And this was, you know, right around the start of high school, like 09. So they were certainly very, very concerned because the housing market had just crashed and it was just a very, very stressful time for them. And I didn't know. But to tell you all those three stories, the things that I had really learned from my parents were to value frugality, saving and bargain hunting. My mom was all about coupon clipping. She always knew where to get the best deal. We would shop for clothes in bulk during semi-annual sales. And she was always someone who instilled in me the value of buying something that is worth the money. These days, I feel very lucky. I'm in a much different financial position, but I still only buy all of my designer goods in Europe because I know that I'm going to get a discount, one, because of the exchange rate between the US dollar and the euro, and then also get you know the VAT back, the, the value added tax back when I buy it in Europe. So I don't buy designer items in the US just because I know I can get them cheaper somewhere else. So they've really instilled in me this principle of making sure that I get the best thing for the lowest price. On the flip side though, I will say my parents instilled a lot of financial trauma in me. And I don't mean that as a jab at them. I think they worked incredibly hard, but 
I have so much spending guilt. Even when I started working on Wall Street and then moved into the tech space and I was making, you know, in, in at the end of my tech career, I was making $600,000 a year. I still could not rationalize spending an extra $5 on shipping. I would kick myself if I didn't get the best deal and I couldn't somehow get it price adjusted. And I think this led to me really devaluing my own time and valuing money above all else, which is not healthy, I would jump through 8,000 hoops to save $2. And it wasn't until my fiance actually looked me in the eye and he pulled and like he sat me down and he basically said, he goes, Vivian, what's your time worth to you? And I basically was like, what do you mean by that? And he goes, think about how much money you make and think about what you get paid per hour to do that job. Is your time better spent working one more hour and making that much more money? Or is it better spent arguing with a customer service person over $2.75? And I think that was probably the moment that things really clicked for me that my time is also very, very valuable and that I need to prioritize it as such because we can always make more money, but you don't ever get that time back. We all only get a finite amount of time and there's very, very little we can do to get more. So definitely spending guilt. And I want you guys to know that if you guys ever feel guilty spending money, it is completely normal, but you shouldn't. You work so hard. You are allowed to want to enjoy yourself. You are allowed to want to rest. You don't need to earn it. You deserve it. And if you are able to adequately and appropriately budget for things that you want to purchase or services or experiences you want to pay for, you shouldn't feel guilty when you're spending that money. You should know that you have properly planned for it and that you deserve it. I would say trauma number two that my parents instilled in me was this fear of the shoe dropping, the, you know, the other shoe dropping. And this very big scarcity mindset of I need to be very, very cautious because you never know what's going to happen. And obviously, I recognize where this comes from, right? My parents watched their parents, my grandparents, wake up one day and have nothing after working their entire careers and lives to have something. And I think they worried that that would happen to them as well. And I'm sure seeing the 08 crash happen, they felt like it was happening all over again. But for me, that manifested in not wanting to take risks and feeling like things were always going to get worse, which I guess is not necessarily a healthy mindset. It's obviously very, very pessimistic. And it certainly is shown to be healthier to have an optimistic mindset about the future. And I heard from a girlfriend of mine, you guys can check her out. Uh, her name is Money with Katie. She had mentioned a one of her guy friends had told her, or I guess she had asked him, are you worried about the future or are you worried that you'll run out of money or something like that? And his response was so insane, but also so powerful. He just said, no, not really. I'm confident in my abilities to always make more money. Woo, let me tell you that line. I have been thinking about that line for a while. Like it's truly the most insane thing that I've ever heard, but it's also very true. We work so hard to build out these developed careers, to network, to have these relationships so that we are able to make more money in the future, to prepare for us in the future to always be able to be leveling up, to always make more money, to always take care of ourselves. And we should not discredit that and think, oh, there's never going to be more where that came from. 
I need to just shut my mouth and work this job I hate. And I think I did that for a really long time. When I worked on Wall Street, when I had gotten that new manager who was not nice to me, I was like, well, I can't get a better job than this. I'll never find a better job than this. And it wasn't until I actually literally had to leave that I realized that I indeed could find a better job, a job that paid me better, that had better hours, that I could wear ripped jeans to work. You guys see, I really love ripped jeans. But I think as I've gotten older, I've been able to really shed that scarcity mindset. And that has helped me take big risks, like taking your rich BFF full time. And that's obviously been one of the best decisions I've ever made in my life. Okay, so last but not least, I think my parents came to this country like so many other immigrants, and they were taught not to make waves. They were taught to live a happy, quiet life and keep their heads down and work hard. And they thought that if they did that, they would be noticed and that they would be rewarded for it. But that's just not true because there are so many stats out there that show the smartest person does not get paid the most. The person who skips happy hour to finish one more project, hoping that their boss will give them credit for it, does not get noticed. It's always Steve at the happy hour schmoozing and making social inroads that gets promoted. And my parents had always taught me to be quiet and work hard. And when when I had gotten my first job, I kind of started to realize that you can be a complete dumbass as long as your boss likes you. And that was a really pivotal moment where I realized it didn't matter if I was the best at the job. I just had to be the person everyone thought of when it was promotion time, when it was raise time. And that meant patting myself on the back. And I realized that nobody was going to advocate for me harder than I could for myself. And that's something that my mentor actually taught me because she said, you can't just do something good. You have to do something good and then take a loudspeaker and tell everyone you did that good thing so that everyone knows that when raise season comes around or promotion season comes around, you're the first person they think of. And that idea of not making waves is actually really detrimental and a huge part of why so many Asians in particular face the bamboo ceiling, which is the fact that Asians are oftentimes hired in numbers equal to, or at least proportional to white colleagues, but they find it really challenging to move past middle management into the C-suite or into upper management because personality and, you know, traits that are typically very associated with Eastern cultures, such as reservedness or being demure or being quiet are seen as non-leadership traits. And we so highly value the ability to speak publicly and speak loudly and speak confidently and almost like peacock that those are the people who are actually getting promoted and getting a leg up in their career. So even though my parents had taught me to just work hard, I realized that you had to work smart. In closing, all in all, I feel so, so lucky that the universe gave me the parents I got because they certainly loved me. They do anything for me and they did their absolute best to give me the best life they could with what they had. I wouldn't trade them for richer parents, but Recording this episode has given me the time and space to really evaluate why I think about money in a certain way. And as we round out the episode, I hope that you're starting to think about your family and how that might subconsciously be affecting how you spend, save, and feel about money as a whole. That said, I think no matter how savvy our parents were or were not, the best thing we can do is to strive to do even better for our kids if we choose to have them or just for ourselves if we choose not to. I hope this time was helpful and thought-provoking. And as always... Thank you so much for listening. See you next week. Bye, guys. Thanks for tuning into this week's episode of Net Worth and Chill. If you like this episode, make sure to leave a rating and a review and subscribe so you never miss an episode. Got a financial question you want answered in the future? You can leave me a voicemail or text me at 908-858-3410. 
Make sure to follow me at Yarvich BFF across social media for even more relatable financial content. Special thanks to my team at Audioboom, as well as Range Media and WME. See you next week. Bye.